Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you, and it's good to be together. Um, we're excited about what God has for us in our future, but I encourage you also to be excited about what God might have for you today. Uh, this morning, it's amazing, um, you know, the things that go through your head. As I was standing over there about to be introduced, I think Satan said to me, there really is no point to your message today. Good luck. And I'm like, that's a nice thing to hear in my head before I go, so uh, we're going to start here. I'm going to start with some words from Jesus. That's what Jesus said, Luke 12, 32 through 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor, but provide purses for yourself that will not wear out because a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus, we, we read your words. I pray that even though the sometimes words can be familiar, there would be something new and fresh today. God, help us to understand what this even means, that you gave us the kingdom, because it seems to stem from that point right there. So help us to understand and help us to live that out. In your name, amen. amen. Have you ever wondered how much courage you can muster up? I often wondered... Man, what would happen if I needed like a bolt, a jolt of courage to do something physically? How would I respond? I just always wondered that. I was the youngest of six kids. My four older brothers had, I guess, way more courage and strength than me because whenever I had courage, it didn't go well for me in those moments of conflict. But one time, I was lying in my bed, and I was newly married. My wife and I had only been married a few years and we were living in a, a home in San Mateo. And it was one of those nights where you wake up from your sleep, and I was convinced somebody was in my house. There was no doubt. I could hear them in the kitchen. I could hear them walking around. My brain started to transition what, who they were and how big they were and what they were taking. And I'm like, I'm newly married. I don't own anything. Like, you know, like, take some of my pots and pans that we got for our wedding. That's all I have. But I can envision all the things they were doing. And for a while, I'm just like, I'm just going to stay as quiet as I can in my bed so they don't come get me. But then I look to my right, and here's my beautiful wife lying peacefully next to me. And I'm like, it's one thing to be like, I'm going to be quiet. But there's another thing when I'm like, wait. If this person's actually in my house and they come, I have to protect my wife. And then this internal thing started a bubbling inside of me that I did not know was going to arise. I became angry. Wait, there's somebody in my house and you are intentionally coming to get my wife. This will not happen. This is all in a matter of like, you know, two minutes in my head. I went from like fearful, quiet Dale to like, I'm going to bring it. This guy doesn't know what's about to happen. But then I needed a plan. How can I, what can I bring to this fight to this guy who's down my hallway and in the kitchen for sure? I realized in the bedroom next to me, I had a baseball bat. 
So I get out of bed, just in my boxers, and I was a younger man, so I was quite the, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't going to scare anybody as I ran down a hallway, but I got a baseball bat. And I think at that point, my wife kind of woke up, and she's like, what are you doing? No worries, babe. A man of courage has, you have been married to, and here I'm about to do. I go into the bedroom next to me, and I grab the baseball bat. It's not a full-size bat. It's like a bat that you hit like ground balls or practice, but I didn't really, that didn't matter. I had a bat. And I thought I would combine, apparently, some like brute force, a baseball bat, and a bit of spirituality. Because as I ran down the hallway, I screamed, in the name of Jesus, depart, just in case, I guess. I get to the kitchen with my bat and ready and like a triumphant, you know, spiritual voice. And all it was was the blinds banging against the window. There was nobody in my house. I went back to bed and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I still had the bat, you know, which I'm like, I could. She's like, what if the guy had a gun? That was the stupidest thing you've ever done. I'm like, here I came back from this triumphal thing of courage. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. What surprised me, though, in that moment, I can look back. I mean, that's 25, 26 years ago. Two things jumped out. One, I was surprised how angry I got that something was there to take something from me, to come into and to invade. And the second thing I, I remember so well was that there was a, something of value that I wanted to protect and it wasn't just something that I valued, but they valued me as well. And from that place of value mustered this activity that says, I'm not just going to sit and take it anymore. I'm going to move. Because courage can come, and I believe does come from value. Not just what you value, but what values you. A little context to the words of Jesus that we were just talking about in Luke chapter 12. Obviously, these words come from a larger response to people's questions about value, around wealth, how to deal with fear and anxiety. And he spends a lot of time talking about how the dependency of your life, what you value, directly affects your kind of fear-courage combination. And when we look at smaller parts of Scripture like we just did, it's really vital not to get lost just in these individual sentences, but to see it in the context of not only the verses around it, but in the context of the story of Scripture. And the larger story of Scripture is that Jesus didn't come to give us additional laws, to bring more fear, to cause more burden, to do a longer to-do list. But part of the reason what he wanted to show us is how do we have a proportionate response to being in God's kingdom? And what is the proportionate response, not just being in the kingdom, but when the kingdom is inside of you, what is the proportionate response? So let's read that and reponder what his, what his words are. We'll read that first verse again. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. 
It shows this amazing generosity of God just to start there. Because if we don't start there, we just become, well, what about this, this, and this? That word, the Father has been pleased. It made God happy. In other words, God's not acting in this generous way towards any of us in order to hide some malicious motive, like some bait and switch. Like, let me draw you near so I can really get you later. This word pleased utterly rules that out for all of us. He's not saying inside, I will have to be generous for a little while, even though I don't really want to, because what I really want to do is bring judgment upon those sinners. The Lord's meaning is inescapable. God's acting here in total freedom with you. He is not under constraint to do what he really doesn't want to do. At this very point, Jesus is declaring that his father is giving the flock his kingdom. He's acting out of his deepest delight for you. God is acting out of his deepest delight for you when he says, my little flock, I've given you my kingdom. This is what this word means, God's joy, his desire, his want and wish and hope and pleasure and gladness and delight is to give you the kingdom. That's the starting point of these closing words that he has for us. Some of us this morning may just need to breathe that in a little bit. Wait, God actually wanted to give me this. It makes him happy. Man, when I started giving gifts to my young child when she was born at Christmas time, I was way more happier than she was. We found some old film. She's just whipping through these presents like next, next, next. And I'm like, man, I spent a lot of money. I remember how happy I was when I gave that to you. Your proportion of joy is not nothing compared to mine. So as we watching it with her, she's 22, she's, watch, you know, she's watching herself as a two-year-old. I'm like, you should have been more happy. She's like, Dad, I was two. I know, but man, that was a great gift. Because the gifts of the Father that he's pleased to give, it's an amazing thing. So he goes on and says, when we have this generous gift from God, you can start doing some courageous, crazy acts. Like the second verse, sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's an act of courage. That's an act of total selflessness. Not because of your ability to make more, because there's plenty in the kingdom, but it's because it's coming from a generous God. And even this phrase, you know, sell your stuff. Like if you have the kingdom inside of you, you can start doing things you've never dreamed you ever would. This can come to a little bit disorienting because we're like, wait, God's talking about money, selling things, so therefore his kingdom must be about money. So if I sell things, I must be getting more money. And that becomes confusing a little bit. And God's like, man, what I have for you is so much bigger than that. You're going to see that even if you let go of the thing you've been fighting for so much, you're going to be like, and yet I still can have peace. And yet I can still have assurance. So Jesus, what you're saying to the people in this kingdom is that we should respond with God's generosity as we have received. 
But what's amazing about the kingdom is that it's not just here. Jesus consistently, whenever he talks about the kingdom, or many times when he talks about the kingdom throughout the New Testament, he says the same kinds of things. Sometimes the kingdom can be stumbled upon, like in Matthew 13, he talks about a guy who all of a sudden stumbles upon a treasure in a field, and he sells his field and buys this one. Another time, and a little bit later in Matthew 13, maybe the next verse, he's talking about somebody who doesn't stumble upon something, but he's talking about somebody who is searching for it, like a pearl that a merchant had been looking for. This is talking about the seeker, the person who's like, what else is there in this life? The kingdom is also found by that person, a seeker who's deeply searching for truth. But in both circumstances, whether you stumble upon this or whether it's something you have been seeking, Jesus says the kingdom is like this, is that when you stumble upon it or it's something you have been perceiving in both situations, the value is going to be so great that he said they sold everything they had for the kingdom. Now, what you might be saying there, Dale, are you saying today I need to cash out? Because that's where we grow, and that's what the enemy wants you to hear. But what Jesus, I believe, is truly saying is the worries and the things that we hang on to pale in comparison to the kingdom that I have given you, so that start doing courageous acts like this one. It's a transfer of value. Value. I had a really good friend who was really against marriage. He would give me all the reasons why a person should never get married. I coached football with him, so I'd hear about it every day, and I'd say, Brett, you know I'm married. He goes, I know, but you're one of the ones who've avoided all of this, apparently, but it may hit you one day. And I'm like, great, can you go over there and coach somebody else? He would give me stats about divorce and stats about, you know, bitterness and anger, all the things, all the reasons why. He was convinced. He had done his research. One day, Brett called me. I hadn't talked to him in a while, and all of a sudden, I see his ID on my phone. I mean, it wasn't on the cell phone. It was like a home phone. It had a cord and a thing that plugged into the wall. Even had like an answer machine. He'd come home and have this little red, red light beeping. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the 90s. It's a really good time. He called me and he's like, Dale, I have a question. And I'm like, oh boy. He's like, will you do my wedding? And I'm like, Brett, I got to ask you a question. What changed your mind? All he said was, I met somebody. And all of the things that I valued all shifted. And I'm like, man, she must be amazing. He goes, no, I just see things different. Because when you start to see things different for what they really are, the stats and the fears and the things that are in front of you start to go like this, and the value shift takes place. Jesus then goes into some advice around this idea that the kingdom is in you. Therefore, just start selling things. Let go of things. But he said, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes and no, and near and no moth destroys. So pursue a place where your treasure is secure. This is one of the things that he is saying to us. Not just live recklessly, but also live with wisdom. 
And he says, obviously, these two places, a place where it can't be stolen, but he also says, and a place that slow erosion can't take place. I mean, it's the thief and the moth. The thief comes and just takes from us. It's sudden loss. It's something by force. It's this intimidation. It's this fear. This imagery reminds me so much of even that, uh, you know, that story in, in God's word in the Old Testament that is known by maybe everybody of the, the Goliath and David issue. The thief is just kind of this Goliath approach. It's bigger, it's stronger. Confidence grows actually from other people's fears. It preys on it. And we succumb to those kinds of things when things just look bigger than we are. So how do we respond? It actually takes somebody with experience within the kingdom to oppose this giant. You see, David walks in, right? And he's like, here's this guy making a mockery of God. And they try to say, well, David, you need to fight him like we do with armor. And he's like, I ain't doing that. And he makes this amazing statement where he's like, I've been some places with God. One time I fought a lion. One time I killed a bear. Now, that wasn't just like a prequel to fighting a giant. That seemed to be like the apex, and this guy is no big deal. I mean, I've watched the TV show alone. As I'm sitting on my couch eating Doritos, those people are out there. Bears are scary. You know, I'm just watching them on TV, and they're scary. But David is like, I've been somewhere with God before. And when you're actively living within the kingdom within you, we've been some places. And fear peeks in when we consider the kingdom every once in a while. But when we respond out of it, it's a different place. We know about the thief. We know about intimidation. We know about those things that help us to push us to back down of fear. And there's times where we're like, man, I just need to muster up enough. But I think even the more frustrating one, maybe the more dangerous one, and the one that Jesus does not avoid pointing out, it's the moth. Now, moths, they look like butterflies, right? They're kind of the same floating thing, and they're like, oh, it's a moth, cute. But moths can get into places. And all of a sudden, you pull out a sweater that you've been wanting to wear for a while, if that's a thing. And I guarantee you that moth is eating that little hole right in a spot that you can't hide from people. I mean, moths don't eat like here or here. They tend to eat like right here. And it's like, don't mind the big old hole in my sweater. Erosion. Moths. When we don't pay attention, when we assume the things that are now infested and involved in our inner lives don't really matter, when we start to go, well, God didn't really say that it's okay if I mess around with these few things within the kingdom. It's okay that I invited a few moths into the kingdom. He's like, it's not, because you stop paying attention, and there's this erosion that takes place. Often the deconstruction of our faith is often very moth-like. It comes from a place of being distracted by things. Maybe it's disappointments. Maybe it's unmet expectations. Maybe it's self-reliance, a loss of control. 
Maybe you're just frustrated with how other people are behaving around you. Maybe people aren't doing what you're asking them to do, even though your idea is the best one. Whatever it is, it's moth-like. And erosion can take place within us. And Jesus is saying that is every bit as dangerous as the visible Goliath in your life. This makes me think that Jesus is calling out this way of living that if you're, if, if you're living in such a way that something can be taken from you or erosion can take place, you're pursuing those things that might be meaningless. It reminds me so much of the Old Testament writer, most likely Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, who at the very end of his life, after living this amazing life of wisdom and wealth and being this king, who also lost his way in his relationships and actually partaked in wine way too much, makes these observations that if you read the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, you start going, what in the world am I reading? Where he says things like, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Like, dude, that guy had a bad day. Or he says later in that first chapter, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. So here's Jesus years later saying, here's how to move forward. And here's this guy looking back at his life. And he's like, man, the things that I thought were important actually were meaningless. And this word meaningless is hebel. And it actually means it's an unproductive activity that doesn't yield anything individually or corporately beneficial in the long run. So what he's saying is, the things that I have been chasing in my life, as I come to the end, the thief is stolen. The moth has deteriorated. It's like mist. Mist in a spray bottle. It's real. But the pursuit of these things is like trying to contain that mist, making it endure. I mean, what's meant is maybe a temporary moisture, a temporary cooling down. But when we try to contain and make sure things are in place, God sees all of it. I'm often reminded how God sees life. Let's say this pencil. Someone once gave me this analogy, like, this is eternity, and you're just here, and so all, I'm like, that's a little overwhelming. But let's say, let's say this pencil is like my life, and I just can see, maybe I'm at this point, and I can see back, but I can't see forward. And yet the head of the kingdom sees the whole thing the whole time. It's like, this is how I view your life, and I'm engaged here and I'm asking you to move forward with courage here because I'm in you and with you. And we're like, no, 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 no. I see way better than you. And God's like, ah, oh, no, you don't. Yeah, I do. It's a really fun little argument we have. Yeah, I do. No, I don't. But that's how God sees it. And the act of trying to control this mist is meaningless. That's what the author says. It's not beneficial. It's an eroding activity. We have a list of wants that we constantly go to God with. We want better relationships, better jobs, better life, better response from God, a better response from other people. And we assume that the end result of all of these things will bring it to a better place of peace, joy, eternal contentment. 
But this is what the teacher, what Solomon and Jesus are literally challenging. They are saying, if this is where your projection is, and this is where your trajectory is, let me challenge that. Because erosion can take place. There's always a temptation for whoever is speaking. And this always makes me very nervous. When I'm speaking on behalf of God, which is like, wait, what am I doing here? I'm trying to do this with God, so there we go. Um, But there's a temptation to try to convince you that mist doesn't feel good. About two months ago, I was in Palm Springs to do a wedding. I walked out of my motel to get lunch. It was 110 degrees outside. It was oppressive. I went to one of these outdoor areas where they had misters. It was wonderful. Mist feels good. There are moments when mist is beneficial. But what would have been foolish is if I pulled out a jar and said, I need to collect all of this mist so I have something for my walk back home. Can you imagine that? I'm like putting mist in the jar and doing this contained because it's going to be gone and I don't have it. So what do you even do after that? Like you store it up and then like you do this as you walk? I don't know. But that's the literal imagery of containing, controlling. When your value comes from a place that can be stolen or can erode, our anxiety is going to remain. It just is. When our value comes from a place that can be stolen or erode, our anxiety is going to remain. So Jesus concludes with this very clarifying assessment. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't it true? Man, our heart, the way God designed us, our heart is a continual gauge. It's a continual instant reflection. Of what I say, of what I feel, of what I think. And I want to propose that our levels of courage, as we've been talking about this fear and anxiety and courage all throughout the summer, that I think our levels of courage, our levels of kingdom response are in direct proportion to really where our treasure is to really what we're thinking about, to really what's taking residence in our soul. It's not just the absence of fear. Courage isn't just like you either have courage or you have fear. Courage literally is I'm acting through my fear. It's what do I do when I am fearful? I remember at the beginning of this pandemic and a lot of my friends who are pastors and they kept saying this message, don't have fear, don't have fear, don't be fearful. Don't. And I'm like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. Like for the next year, and as I look back, I understand some of that, but I think the messaging really should have been and should have been, let's have fear. I mean, let's have fear. Let's have courage. Let's have fear. Let's just all give up. Let's all, no, I'm just kidding. What do we do when we do have fear? Let's have courage that can fight through this fear as we have it. Because that's what it is, and that's what the kingdom does. The kingdom isn't an absence of fear of reality of life. It's like, no, I'm with you as you move forward, even though you have fear. I always find it really important to ask myself questions, to assess, to grow, to wonder. I've heard some words from Jesus today. I've heard some common things. I've heard some things about a kingdom. I'm even kind of wondering maybe, do I have courage? What does courage look like for me? 
So here are some questions that I ask myself. One, am I courageously generous? As we looked at, God was pleased to give us the kingdom. One of the core, core values of kingdom of God within us is generosity. Am I a conduit of the kingdom to people around me? That can feel courageous. You may be like, no, that's just what I do, but that's an act of courage that you're not containing. Because when we have the kingdom inside us and we do stuff to contain and protect it and not let it out, we're doing the same thing that we do with mist. God's kingdom is not meant to be contained or controlled. You're like, what if someone might misunderstand the things I'm going to say? Well, then God's at work. Am I, am I courageously generous? Does my increase of resources mean I increase my generosity? Is the more I receive mean the more even comes out? And what can be more than God's kingdom? Am I courageous in my conversations? Not just with what I say, but in my willingness to hear, to learn. Am I living that the kingdom even with my presence with people? See, these are acts of courage. Am I courageous in my humility? Am I embracing my kingdom identity when I am wronged, when I am misunderstood, when I make mistakes? Do I find my assurance there, my courage there? Am I courageous to forgive other people even when they don't ask for it? Am I okay with, God, with giants and moths in my closet? Or am I do need some courage to get those things out? Am I courageous in what God is calling me to do? Am I courageous in what God is calling me to do? You're like, well, how do I know what God is calling me to do? In the purest, smallest sense, it's really just the next right thing. What's the next right thing God's calling you to do? And I can't help but imagine this has a lot been churning inside of a lot of us, that we know what it feels like to be fearful. We envision what it feels like to be courageous. And there's steps to get there along the way that you can look back and go, God, we've been here before. I can do this again. Courageous shows up in your humility and your generosity and your forgiveness and in your conversations. And ultimately, it, it shows up in what, doing what God has asked you to do. Because courage is moving through your fear. And it's simply not trying to control the mist anymore. It's not trying to control the things that can be stolen or erode away. There's a, a huge temptation for me as a communicator because this is what I've been taught to do. And that's what I've seen be valuable. It's very much of a temptation for me to end a sermon like this around courage and around fear and moving through in the kingdom is to tell you a story where I showed some miraculous courage in my life. And I have a bunch of stories where it went really well and you'll be like, oh, he's so spiritual. And I have some stories where it went really, really bad, and you're like, oh, he's so humble. But the reality is neither one of these things doesn't really match what I'm trying to do today. What I would love for us to do is to end with your story. What story would you tell? What story do you tell?
What story is like, this is how I've seen God move in me, or here's what I want to do next because I've heard this. Some of the questions you may have to ask yourself to tell this story is this. Man, what missed today? What missed are you trying to control, to contain? Are you willing just to say, man, I'm a mist container. I'm a mist controller. It is like chasing after the wind. God, I just want to let go. And maybe that's your story today. God, I want to let go. Maybe another question might be for your story is how courageously are you living out the kingdom that is within you? Not as, not, not as a way of proving anything, because God gave it to you generously. It was his pleasure to give it to you. We don't live out the kingdom so we get God's attention. You already have God's attention. He's already crazy about you. So how do you live that out? Maybe part of a question for your story is, what are the obvious giants of opposition in your life? How are you bringing God into that? But maybe the most powerful one might be, what are the slow erosions? What are those things that you're like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. God's good with this, I think. It's everybody does it. Whatever it is. What are those slow erosions? You're like, enough, enough. Just want to get rid of that. But I think it's about your story. I think it's, that's the way to end. Because this is what God's done in me. God, let's do it again. And if it's never been there, man, I would love this to be the day where you're like, God, I want to receive your kingdom inside of me. It's nothing that I've done. It's not an act of my will, of my strength, of my intellect, but it's because you are a generous, generous, generous God who chooses to give me something I never deserved but that, so I could be with him. And that's what Jesus' message is. God is so pleased with you. He gave you his kingdom. And when he gives you his kingdom, you can start doing crazy things like selling everything you have and give to the poor. But as you have this treasure, don't put your treasures in places where people can steal it or it can be eroded. Because truly, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Let me invite the band back up just to close us in a song of worship, songs of praise and response back to him. And my encouragement for you is what is the story you want to tell? What is the story you want to move forward with, with reckless kingdom courage in your soul? Father, I thank you and praise you for who you are. God, help us to understand what it even means that the kingdom is inside of us. May we stop chasing things that erode, that get stolen, but pursue you. May we live from a place of confidence and courage because of what you've done in our life. Jesus, may we understand these words more than we ever have before. We love you in your name. Amen.